Okay, well, uh, hi. Welcome, y'all. I mean, you all. Y'all. Uh, I'm just trying to... Uh, so, I, I get the uh, distinct honor and privilege of, uh, of uh, introducing KSK, yes. uh, who's uh, uploading his slides. I had to, he's, he's such a dedicated clinician, I had to yank him out of a patient's room. Um, and, uh, and then I got stuck there as they were telling me what a great doctor he is. So thanks for that. Um, so KSK came to us just this past year. Uh, we, we recruited him to, uh, to uh, run our melanoma program. Where we took him from was uh, Medical University of South Carolina, where he both did a fellowship and then stayed on uh, as the faculty for for a while. You, I think he first went there about a decade ago, right, to do his fellowship. Um, KSK is, in addition to being fully trained in uh, medical oncology, he's also a radiation oncologist. Uh, that training was done in Japan, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he has a master's in clinical research. Um, uh, plus, he's a uh, fullback. What are you? <coughs> What's your position? Uh, tailback. Tailback. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, so, Keisuke is uh, going to be talking with us today about uh, advances in melanoma, um, and his slides are loading, right? That's right. Yeah. Want to read his conflict oh. of interest statement? Okay, and also I want to welcome those over there and who are uh, here from the distance, uh, remotely. Uh, Dr. Shry has passed uh, support from Merck, Novartis, BentRx, Lilly, Oncotheron, Amgen, Inform, Roche, Estellas, Arbuel, and Merrimack Pharmaceuticals. Um, and uh, his presentation was reviewed by... Uh, Dr. Hartford, who is the course director for CME, and he's been validated, and he does not, he being case state, does not intend to discuss off-label or investigational use of a product or device, nor do we pay him, um, nor does he get funds from a commercial entity with respect to this activity. But we do pay him. I'm stuck. So. This one? Yeah. Yeah. You got a song and dance for us? It's not there yet. Not budging. So as you know, melanoma is a, is a cancer that arises um, from, um, uh, from uh, melanocytes. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, there are a number of other locations uh, where melanocytes uh, where melanoma can arise that, that uh, have somewhat unique characteristics. I'm not sure if you'll talk about them, but for instance, uh, ocular melanoma from, from the uh, pigmented, pigmented retinal epithelium. Uh, and uh, it's been known for quite some time that among the types of cancers that there are, melanoma is one that seems to have the greatest uh, propensity for being susceptible to the immune system's uh, uh, ability to maintain control. And one of the few examples of spontaneous progression of, of disease. Okay, ready to use. What else? <laughs> it has to do with sunlight, in some manner. Um, but, you know, sunlight's not all bad because vitamin D is also made from sun. So I think, you know, as in all things in life, moderation 
is the key. Um, but, uh, you know, if you've gotten sunburned, you've clearly, uh, you know, especially with blistering and all, uh, that's, that's not moderation. Um, so don't drink a beer and fall asleep in the sun, especially after the winter. I've done that. Uh, especially lying on your back. That's one right you have to point, drive yeah. or take an airplane after that. Up here, yeah. Really uncomfortable. Um, now what? It's coming. It's coming. I love it. Okay. That's all I have to still thinking, but um, I'm going to go over lots of slides today, since most of them are lots of pictures from my um, clinic patient, so I'd like to um, thank you for my patients and family member, and also thank you very much for giving me opportunity to go over recent improvement in melanoma treatment. Still a lot to go, but we have seen dramatic improvement, especially I've been doing this for 19 years, but until 2011, we didn't have much to offer for melanoma. The initial encounter for stage 4 disease, we need to talk about the calvazine, temozolomide versus palliative care. That's how bad you know, the outcome of stage 4 disease. Although um, since 2011, um, so this is a conflict of interest, all related to clinical trials. So uh, all money goes to institution, but this is because I've been local PI for these clinical trials, not only melanoma, but also lung cancer. And this is, um, Brad already read it. So cancer therapy, so the calbazine we used until 2011 was actually uh, found, um, approved by FDA in 1975. So we have used that drug for the last like almost 40 years until we got new uh, drug called ipilimumab in 2011. Um, Hydrocyl 2 still people use it for a uh, young, fit patient hoping for complete remission, which was approved by FDA 25 years ago. And then, this is just a reference, but imatinib is the first small molecule inhibitor we use for CML, and that's um, shown significant improvement of survival. Before this drug, CML, five-year survival was around like five, 50 to 60 percent, but after that, with this drug, now five-year survival for CML is almost 90 to 95 percent. Imatinib is a little different. Um, CML, as a medical oncologist, we call it stupid cancer because they don't come up with resistant mutation or acquired resistance. So that's a little different than melanoma. Melanoma seems to be um, smarter than CML. So melanoma treatment, since two, I told you since 2011, um, basically nine new drugs got approved by FDA. One is ipilimumab, I'll go over, this is anti-CTLFO antibody. Bimrafenib is BRAF inhibitor. Um, pigulated interferon, that's not the new, but the new formula of interferon. You could give it once a week instead of a daily infusion. Dabrafenib is another BRAF inhibitor. Trametinib is MEK inhibitor. Um, pembrolizumab, this is uh, 
President Carter drug anti-PD-1 antibody approved by FDA in the end of 2014. Nibolumab is other anti-PD-1 antibody. And then in 2015, recently FDA approved a combination of anti-PD-1 and anti-CTLA-4 antibody. I will touch upon that uh, briefly. Cobimetinib is another MEK inhibitor combined with um, bimorafenib. So now we have two different options of uh, BRAC inhibitor and MEK inhibitor combination. And TVAC, this is a little different. Uh, this is um, detox, um, less intensified H, you know, helper simplex bias related uh, vaccine. You do actually inject this locally to melanoma. It has uh, genetically modified to produce GMCSF, and also it has genetically modified contract only melanoma cells, not the normal cell. But this has, I have clinical trials with this medicine, which with combination with ipilimumab, I have seen dramatic response, which I couldn't expect with um, ipilimumab alone. This just finished accrual, so we might see result sometimes in this year ASCO, but that's lots of options are available. So 2016, I did the medicine ground ground uh, two months ago, and then I put this question, but do you know anything about 2016, what 2016 means? Actually, um, this guy from French invented <coughs> stethoscope. So it's been like a 200 years since um, invention of stethoscope, you know, we're still um, using this. So, 1816. What to do with melanoma? Although, actually, he's the one who initially, you know, mentioned melanoma from his, from melanoma, lung metastasis. Mela means uh, black in Greek. So he's the one who described melanoma in literature for the first time um, when he was in medical school. So that's, you know, how smart he is. But um, unfortunately, he died in his 40s, uh, but he's, um, clearly his contribution is still here. So melanoma treatment before 2011, again, the in from 1975, hydrocyl 2 biochemotherapy, which means combination of hydro, I mean, IL-2, interferon, cisplatin, others. It did show some better response rate, but unfortunately, survival rate was same. Cell-based therapy, this is well known at, um, NCI, Dr. Rosenberg group. I spent one week in NCI. It's really interesting. It's, the treatment itself is fairly primitive. So surgeon get tissue from patient. It's the chunk of tumor. They just mince it and the food, and then they extract T cells, assuming these lymphocyte has activity against melanoma, and then they expand these cells outside of body. It takes six to eight weeks, you know, with, you know, close control of infection and others, and then we get a white cell expand enough to go into body, and meanwhile, not all patients can get the cells, even they are able to expand cells, because melanoma progression could be 
clearly shorter than, you know, six, they cannot wait six to eight weeks of period. Once cells are ready, what they do is they will give cytoxin, fulldorabine, and also sometimes whole body radiation treatment. Idea is deplete lymphocyte to make room and also deplete regulatory T cells to make them more effective. <coughs> Using this combination, some study, it's a small study, but suggesting response rate could be like a 50 to 60% with much higher complete response rate compared to high-dose IL-2 alone. Of course, these are really highly selected population with good performance status, good lung function, good cardiac function, and then the tempo of disease is slower than this six to eight weeks of um, expansion phase. So it's, it's promising, I mean, but it's expensive. Although initially everybody says it's only NCI, but now his um, trainee could duplicate that in Fred Hutchinson in Seattle, or MD Anderson, or Israel. So it's, you know, it's replicable. So this is the uh, preliminary session in ASCO in 2010. The history of ASCO for the last 30 years, this is the first time melanoma was selected for preliminary session. And this is regarding um, anti-CTLF antibody. So how does it work is um, T cell put the um, CTLF-4 receptor once they get activated, and then in communication with CD80 and 86 on antigen-presenting cell, actually T-cell kind of shrink. So T-cell activity go down. Idea is to prevent from overactivation of the immune system. But they found out by blocking CTLF-4 with anti-CTLF-4 antibody, they can maintain T-cell activity. Idea is, um, maintain immune surveillance. So this drug was approved by FDA in 2011. It's a clear liquid. Um, we do infuse over 90 minutes. Now studies suggest it could be given in over 30 minutes. Every three weeks times four doses. So the issue is the cost. If assume, let's say, 100 kilogram patient, 300 milligram cost actually $30,000, it's more expensive than my car. So $30,000 times four is $120,000. So it's quite expensive. Response rate, unfortunately, it's only around 10 to 15%. So the cost of medicine is 120K and response rate is 10%. So to see one patient response, you need to treat 10 patients, right? So the cost of medicine could be more than that. So, you know, 1,200, 1 million, you know, $200,000 to see one response. Although this is the first drug showing survival benefit um, compared to GP100, which is control arm. So this was approved by FDA in 2011. So clearly this is not the bogus, it's a real drug. I have seen dramatic change. So this patient came to uh, my clinic when I was in South Carolina from Atlanta looking for a clinical trial with this ipilimumab. She's a lady who had high-dose IL-2, interferon, decobazine, and continued to progress. When she came to us, 
she, her oxygen was still okay because her right lung was intact, but you could see her main issue was significant chest pain. This is after three doses. She couldn't get the four doses because one time she has elevated liver enzymes, which we held the medication, but with three drug, I mean three treatment, she did have dramatic improvement. Only thing is, it's interesting, still she does have this, um, if you see left diaphragm, small nodules on the dome of left diaphragm, which remains somewhat um, hypermetabolic, I'm talking about this. So the interesting thing is it does balance, equate with uh, cancer and then immune system. But this is before and after, after three doses of treatment. So she did really well, um, but the follow-up scan after um, 18 months from the last dose of treatment, she was found to have new right adrenal mets. The left diaphragm is still remains active. So what to do for her? This is our right adrenal mets. So uh, this is a different patient. So we, we challenge with ipilimumab again based on phase three data, who did respond to ipilimumab, although initial response is only 10 to 15%. If patient respond to initial treatment, second infusion response rate could be 60 to 70%. So we could re-challenge with ipilimumab and she did have a beautiful response. And she still remains disease free. Um, it's like four and a half years from the original. No, no, actually, she came to me in 2010, so it's almost six years. She did have brain meds also treated, which was treated with gamma knife treatment. I'll go over that later. This is a lady with the neck melanoma. You know, the ENT surgeon took care of it. But unfortunately, you know, one month after surgery, she developed new hypermetabolic lesion. That was resected again, because surgeon can resect anything, right? But unfortunately, in two months, she developed contralateral lymph node. The tough part is not only that, this time she developed uh, right adrenal mets. So she came to us for ipilimumab clinical trials, and then she's disease-free. So she had two years old boy when I first met her, and now the boy is like seven years, yeah, eight years old. So this drug is expensive. It's only 10% response rate, but clearly it has changed that treatment of melanoma and also improved patient quality of life. Again, issue is the cost. So, I mean, how much society can hold it? And then we're looking for better way to find the patient who will respond to this treatment for the last 10 years. But unfortunately, we don't have any prognostic or predictive marker for ipilimumab treatment yet. So this is another patient who came with um, right hemiparalysis and headache with lots of uh, lung disease, pleural disease. This was March 2012. She got the four dose of ipilimumab and completed in uh, sometimes June or July of 2012, and she's still disease-free. Um, brain was treated with craniotomy followed by um, gamma knife treatment. So clearly, it's 
changing. Side effect, it is. It's, there are different side effect profile compared to traditional chemotherapy. The more, we call it itis. It's not ISIS. <laughs> but overstimulated lymphocyte can cause lots of inflammation. Most common thing is dermatitis, it rash. It could be, it could happen like one week or two weeks after treatments. It's a little different than diarrhea. Diarrhea or enterocolitis is well-known side effect. Before we know how to manage this, it did create some fatal cases with perforation, infection. Um, those are now much better controlled with early intervention with steroid. Thyroiditis, it could be hyperthyroid or hypothyroid, so we need to monitor TSH and free T4 closely. These are sometimes difficult to monitor just with symptoms, so we need to rely on blood work. Hypophysiitis, so it can actually cause typical um, secondary adrenal insufficiency. I never experienced outside of textbook until this drug come, but you can see hypotension, uh, low sodium, hyperkalemia. It's like a septic shock. So you need to rule out, you need to think about these side effects when you treat these patients. Hepatitis is also known, autoimmune hepatitis, we do treat with um, steroid or CELSEP. These are known side effects. Pneumonitis is also, it's rare. It's around like a three to five percent, but it could be uh, fatal if we miss it to intervene. So this is a patient I experienced here at um, Dartmouth. So this patient received pembrolizumab. This is anti-PD-1 antibody. It's different than anti-CTLF-4 antibody, but he's, she's been treated with this drug since July of 2014 and with good control without any side effect until recently in September 2015. So this is her baseline CT scan. But when she came into clinic in September, she was huffing, puffing, diaphoretic. Oxygen saturation was like in, his, in her 70%. So you see these diffuse um, interstitial changes. So what we did was give her um, IV steroid with um, we admitted her, of course, and then we supported her, and then switching to oral steroid. So finally, we were able to taper her steroid over three months. Important thing is we need to taper slowly, otherwise we, um, recurrence of this inflammation has been reported. This is the uh, different patient, but you could see uh, pituitary gland, this is the pituitary gland, but it's enhanced. Um, so this patient has uh, low TSH, low free T4, and then she, he was hypotensive, low cortisol, and then low ACTH. So this patient had secondary adrenal insufficiency. How to treat this? It's relatively simple. The idea is suppress inflammation, so we use steroid. Once in a while, we may need to use infliximab for diarrhea, CELSEP for hepatitis, but the most of the time, it's our treatment of these autoimmune inflammation is steroid. He did respond beautifully with uh, one dose of steroid with slow tapering. And he's disease-free. His picture will show up later. Um, we now more than like 30,000, 40,000 patients are treated with these um, medication. I still get 
um, side effect report every week. It's lots of rare side effects. Encephalitis, so patient can have like a weird confusion, dementia type symptom. It's not common, like one out of 2,000, but it's been reported. Steven Johnson syndrome, dermatomyositis, ITP, TTP, red cell aplasia. Um, myasthenia gravis, type 1 diabetes, so you need to monitor sugar. There was a, I think even Dartmouth, I was told there was one patient came with sugar of 600 with significant low insulin level. So these things could happen. Rhabdomyolysis is also reported recently with like CPK of 10,000, 20,000. So you need to look, you need to be um, sensitive to any type of weird side effect. And also, cost is one of the side effects, too. And is ipilimumab for everybody? Most likely, no. If you have you know, these diffuse brain mats or liver mats, they tend to not to respond to treatment. You need some time to train your immune system. Interesting thing is um, it does create mixed response, so we cannot use traditional resist criteria, treatment response criteria, which if you see new lesion, automatically it will be progression of disease. But with these treatment, sometimes we do see what we call mixed response. So this is one, pa one of my patients who does a right axillary lymph node, right hyaluronic lymph node, right pericardial lymph node, and also this mass in his umbilicus. So, we treated with him ipilimumab. So, hyalolymph node, pericardial lymph node, and then this umbilical mass disappeared, but right axillary lymph node actually increased activity. Although he was asymptomatic, so we watched him repeat scan in three months. Right axillary lymph node disappeared, but the right hyalolymph node came back. So we do see this balance. So I think it's cancer is not totally eradicated. It's they found the way to balance between immune system. So this was the only lesion. So we, after discussion with radiation oncologists, we radiated this area with stereotactic radiosurgery, and he's disease-free for the last five years. Um, at next year, in 2011, another melanoma topic was presented in plenary session. So this is not the first time, but the second time for melanoma. This is bimorafenib. This is for um, BRAF inhibitor, I mean BRAF mutated melanoma. So, so this was a, a plenary session. You could see how many big screen and then how many people were sitting there. They were so excited about it. So this is a map kinase pathway. I'm not going to go over that because you're all basic scientists, right? <laughs> so BRF mutation is you know, down-regulate tumor suppressor genes that also up-regulate tumor-promoting pro molecules such as BEGF or NF-kappa B. We know thyroid cancer has BRF mutation. Melanoma has 50 to 60% of them. Lung cancer also has um, BRAF mutation around 7 to 8%. The different thing is B600E mutation is only about 2 to 5%. Although still, you know, how frequent, how common lung cancer, it is meaningful. And this is an Australian epidemiological study. We know, what we know is 
the younger they are, they tend to have BRAF mutations. So if a patient is younger than 40 years old, more than three-quarter of people could have BRAF mutation, although the, more, the older, the lower the frequency of BRAF mutation. Although still we want to check it because if they have mutation, we could have one more treatment option. So this is about one patient uh, in her 30s came to me after failure of ipilimumab. Um, you could see her pigmented skin. She did have radiation, multiple surgery. Not only this, she has multiple lung mats and then brain mats. She did have BRAF mutation. She's young, right? So you'd expect to see three-quarter of them have BRAF mutation. She did it. Um, so this is one week after starting bimorafenib. It looks like cauterizing it. It's you know, clearly um, showing shrinkage within, uh, in front of us. <laughs> Two weeks and three weeks. So we could see this kind of dramatic shrinkage. So, and then initially when she came to me, her main complaint was pain. But in three weeks, her complaint was actually smelling, smell from this necrotic tissue. So, so this is before and after. So she had a dramatic response. This is a bimorafenib. They take this four twice a day. So eight tablets a day, I mean, yes. But the cost of medicine for one month is $10,000. So it's not cheap drug. Is it miracle drug? Again, melanoma is smarter than CML. Unfortunately, what we know is on average around six to seven months, they come up with acquired resistance. And then in her case, actually it was much shorter than that. In three months, you could see how like beefy, ugly looking new tumor came back. So that's where we are. So how to overcome resistance, there, it's not that simple as um, acquired resistance for lung cancer, EGFR mutated population. There are diverse uh, mechanisms of resistance has been reported. Now I think more than 20 of them. It's not that simple. And then we haven't found the way to overcome these resistance. One option is you know, on, and on and off administration of these drugs. Based on my study present, I mean, published in Nature, that the, my study showing giving drug continuously versus one week on, one week off, and they are able to extend progression-free survival from 100 days to 200 days. So nowadays, can we mimic that in human case? There's a national study giving this um, BRAF inhibitor on and off. So we'll see. We don't have result yet. Side effect, um, you know, joint pain, rash, fatigue, photosensitivity, liver dysfunction. Those are, you know, the common side effect from small molecule inhibitor, nothing unique to uh, BRAF inhibitor. But our unique thing is cutaneous squamous carcinoma. This was induced by overactivation of ARC in normal cell. And so these are side effects. And they tend to grow rapidly in front of you. Squamous carcinoma usually slow growing, resected, that's it. But this is a little different. You could see, you know, raising erythematous lesion 
in front of you. So still, the dermatologist can resect it. So you can tell I'm from South Carolina. So making inhibitor is other one approved by FDA in 2012. Trimatinib and cobimetinib is now two drug approved by FDA for melanoma. Combining with BRAF and MEK inhibitor does actually improve response rate and also improve survival, which is, you know, you could think about it, right? Two drugs is always better than one drug. What unique with these combinations are actually not only improving progression-free survival, it does decrease toxicity. So that's something unique. It does decrease incidence of squamous cell carcinoma. They technically, um, so usually, Frequency of squamous cell carcinoma is around 20%. By giving combination, you could decrease to 7% or so. So that's unique, although the issue is cost. Combination, you know, cost like 150000 no, no, $15,000 per month. And then median, now overall survival with this combination is reaching to two years. So you could imagine $15,000 times 24 how expensive they are. So this is one patient I saw um, after I joined here in November of 2015, I saw this lady. She'd never had any history of personal melanoma, but she came with diffuse, huge left inguinal lymph node with significant swelling. Biopsy was consistent with melanoma. She was in her 30s, and she did have BRF mutation. So this is a recent scam. So you could see this kind of dramatic response, although unfortunately it's only four months after starting this drug, she already started to have new um, skin metastasis. So we are switching to ipilimumab-nivolumab combination. We started uh, two weeks ago. So still lots to learn from these disease. And other one is acral or mucosal melanoma. The frequency is low, but still they could have BRAF mutation, so always we want to check it. And this is before and after picture for patient with mucosal melanoma. This is an African-American lady. They thought this is nothing infection and treated with antibiotics and antifungal for a long time. When she came to see me, her lung was like this, with huge left inguinal node. But she did have BRAF mutation. So in three weeks, so you could see this kind of dramatic response if patient had BRAF mutation. So um, if you have patient with significant symptom, high volume of disease, this is the option if they have mutation. Then again, side effect is excoriation of hand, which is common with um, other BRAF inhibitors such as serafinib we use for um, renal cell cancer. Immune checkpoint, um, anti-CTLFO antibody, anti-PD-1 antibody, anti-PD-L1 antibody are um, in this category. So basically, it does prevent from overactivation of T cells by interacting between antigen-presenting cell and T cell. Um, Anti-CTLFO is only for um, T cell, but um, PD-1 or PDL1 is on tumor or tumor microenvironment, environment, other 
tissues, and then they do interact and basically decrease T cell activity. So PD-1 knockout mouse was found in 1998, still less than 20 years ago, from Kyoto University, where I'm from. It, nothing to do with me. Actually, my classmate's husband has patent on this drug. You could imagine how rich she could be. But. <laughs> so it does, this immune checkpoint does control T cell exhaustion. And there's multiple immune checkpoint pathway has been found. There are lots of them are actually now on clinical trials. Not only PD-L1 antibody, anti-LAG3 is now available, um, anti-TIM3, IDO inhibitor. There are multiple of them are now in early phase clinical trials. So PD-1 antibody, why we are so excited? Because not only melanoma, they have shown clinical benefit in lung cancer, which is way more common than melanoma, right? Melanoma, stage four melanoma in US one year is around 10 to 20,000 patient. But when it comes to lung cancer, whole, all population of lung cancer in one year in US is around um, 200,000, and then three quarter of them are advanced stage. So you could imagine how many more patients are involved with this findings. And not only non-small cell lung cancer, Hodgkin disease has shown great response, gastric cancer, ovarian cancer, even triple negative breast cancer has shown some benefit from this drug. And less toxic than ipilimumab, but also in, in, there's unique side effect. Response rate is 30 to 40% compared to 10 to 15% of ipilimumab. And it, PD-L1 expression is one potential um, predicted marker for response, although even patients don't have PD-L1 expression still can respond to this treatment. So we don't know how to utilize this information yet, but we do have available tests. And pembrolizumab, this is President Jimmy Carter drug approved by FDA in September 2014. It will be given every 30 minutes. Nibolumab approved by FDA in July 2014 in Japan and December 2014 in US. Still cost is the issue. The one month, I'm sorry, one year supply of this drug is around $150,000. So this is the issue, you know, you know he, it's, he was, I think, diagnosed sometimes in June or July of last year, and then he, he didn't say that. His recent scan was negative for cancer, but the uh, broadcasted way he says I'm cancer-free or he's cancer-free. I think it's too soon to say, although it uh, looks like his recent interview suggests he doesn't have obvious disease, and then they decided to stop this drug for him. He's 91. There are lots of um, articles relating how sometimes confusing to say cancer-free. So again, response rate with anti-PD-1 antibody is 30 to 40%, so it's better than anti-CTLF-4 antibody. 
And so one year survival of stage four melanoma with this drug now around 60%, and two year survival is 40%. Before this drug, actually one year survival for stage four melanoma is only 20% with the calvazine or temozolomide. With anti-CTLA-4, it doubled. So one year survival went up to 40%. Now with this anti-PD-1, one year survival is 60%. So this is a patient now who did have multiple um, subcutaneous metastasis, also lung metastasis, treated with anti-PD-1 antibody on clinical trial. So he's smiling, right? <laughs> so he's still disease-free. This is a patient actually who did have hypophysiitis. I show MRI last um, several slides ago. This is another other patient who progressed on ipilimumab. And we biopsy these lesions. There's melan melanocyte there, but no evidence of cancer after this scaly lesion. And she's disease-free. She does have not only this, she has um, lung mats and liver mats, but she's disease-free with, still she's on this um, anti-PD-1 antibody. So this is a patient who does have big pericardial lymph node and right, uh, right hilar lymph node and also left hilar mass. This is a patient who had, and she did have other head and neck lesion too. And after one dose in one week, this lesion disappeared. And this is before, and, uh, this is actually three weeks after initial infusion. He, we want to confirm his responses not only in skin, but also in his lung. And he's disease-free now. He's racing with Porsche and you know, skiing, and he's active as younger gentleman. He's in his 70. So what we know is our responder tend to have increasing CD8 cell infiltration. So clearly, immune system got activated. So now we have two options, low response rate, but potentially sustainable, which is immune checkpoint inhibitor, versus high response rate, but doesn't last. Median progression-free survival is around, unfortunately, nine to 10 months with combination, six to seven month BRAC inhibitor alone. So this is the um, lambrolizumab, which is old name of pembrolizumab. So you could see in yellow triangle, that's when they have shown response. And you could see most of them are still ongoing treatment. So the beauty is low response rate, but could be sustainable. This is the um, BRAC inhibitor trial. Your green point is when, they re when we see response. But unfortunately, red dot is when they became resistance to treatment. So they do respond, but they don't last. So how to utilize these two combinations? We don't know yet. Um, our consensus is if patient has low volume of disease without symptom, it would be reasonable to consider immune checkpoint inhibitor, hoping for Long, long sustainable response. If patient is symptomatic or high LDH, consider BRAC inhibitor if they have BRAC mutation. 
So EP-NEBO combination was approved by FDA. In, and this is a phase one data. Response rate showing 60% with 12% CR rate, so which is higher than 40%, 30 to 40% response rate with nebolumab alone. This was um, presented in ASCO in 2013 with lots of excitement, and then response seems to be um, fairly quick compared to single immune checkpoint inhibitor. One year survival is now 80%, so 20%, 40% with CTLF-4 antibody, 60% with anti-PD-1 antibody, and then now 80% with combination. So this is my patient. Uh, she, he, she came to me. January of 2014 with diffuse liver and spleen meds. She was in her 40s who did have stage one melanoma when she was in her 20s. T1, you know, T1 and zero, so usually resection, just observation. But she was really tired when she became 40s and then she was found to have liver dysfunction, subsequent workup revealed this. So she did have, um, LBF mutation, we treated her with combination, dramatic response, but unfortunately, one year after starting medication, her disease started to recur again. So we did treat her with ipilimumab. Unfortunately, she didn't respond. We did treat her with pembrolizumab when it got approved, but she progressed. So what we have was this new phase one data using ipilimumab and nivolumab, and then after long discussion with Department of Medicine, hospital, why? Because it's not FDA approved yet. Patient says she's gonna pay for it on her own. What's wrong, right? But the Department of Medicine, you know, higher end people saying, she might, or I mean, if this doesn't work, her husband or her family might say, it's, we are not gonna pay. The cost of medicine is like 300, I mean, yeah, $300,000. So we had an extensive discussion with um, drug company and then insurance company, and then finally insurance company says they will pay for it, and then drug company says, if insurance company doesn't pay for it, they will cover for it, and then we got approval. So we treated her with this combination in May of 2015 before FDA approval. Luckily, she had a dramatic response. Her LDH was like a 2000, came down to normal after full treatment with significant, actually, symptom improvement. Although the spleen didn't shrink even after good LDH decrease. So we confirmed several, two or three serial scan shows stable disease. After that, we removed it because her symptom was significant pain in her left abdomen. You could feel spleen all the way down to her pelvis. So this is a resection um, just done in December of last year. What's interesting? Pathologists couldn't find any viable melanoma cells. They are all dead, according to their definition. Although they have seen lots of pigmented lesion, it's still ugly looking with melanocyte. But, so she's now symptom free, she can run, she can jog. You know, she's doing really well. Other interesting finding is, 
yeah, this is, you know, other view. So I do ask Christina to remove the spleen. So interesting thing is she did have what we call melanosis. So her skin was really blue or even gray or blue before treatment. And then after this combination treatment, her skin looks much better. And she does have this vitiligo also. And other interesting thing is she has straight hair for the entire her life until after this treatment, she became curly. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know why. But that, <laughs> so this was published, phase three data was published in July 2015 on New England Journal. So now this is approved option. Although the issue is side effect greater than, um, you know, grade three or grade four side effect happen 55% of patients. So it's a big difference than, you know, five to 7% with anti-PD-1 antibody. So other one is PDL one antibody. Response rate is around 30%. So how to combine, what to combine is the issue. So the one way is combined with surgery. There's a retrospective data from John Wayne Cancer Center combining with immune checkpoint inhibitor with surgery is better than surgery or better than immune checkpoint inhibitor alone. So she's not the only one. We did have success with another splenectomy. This is a recent case we removed gallbladder after confirming only this area is a progressing so you could see this ugly looking uh, pigmented lesion in her, in, in his gallbladder. We'll see how his immune system get activated. Surgeon believes still surgery is the best way to enhance antigen presentation. Radiation oncologists believe radiation is the best way to improve antigen presentation. Medical oncologists believe chemotherapy is the best way to improve antigen presentation. So traditional chemotherapy, there's a preclinical data. These could enhance antigen presentation. <laughs> Radiation two. So this is a case report in New England Journal uh, in 2012. This is a single case report, but it's reported in New England Journal. This is from Sloan Kettering. So basically what they did was they radiated only one lung lesion circled yellow and have shown clinical improvement in other area. Not only radiated area, other part of body start to show improvement, which she didn't respond ipilimumab alone. Why they were able to make it to New England Journal? Because they did measure T cell activity before and after radiation, and they have shown significant difference against um, NYESO antibody, I mean NYESO antigen. Is it, you know, duplicable? That's, this is our case. So this patient has um, big subcranial lymph node after ipilimumab treatment. So we got the, so this paper was published right before this, C, this PET CT scan. So after a long discussion, we decided to radiate this area. So three, uh, five months after radiation, you could see 
subcranial lymph node has also went away. So this obstacle effect, I wouldn't say it happened more than 10%, but it's real. I have like handful cases with obstacle effect. We did have one case um, last week. Patient had multiple disease, liver mats, lung mats, with breast mass, and we radiated her breast with radiation, and then so recent scan shows dramatic improvement, not only lung, but also liver. So this is um, real. TBEC is other one. Um, metformin, this is not the clinical data, but the preclinical data suggests actually metformin does increase CD8 cell infiltration into tumor and then stay longer than usual. So this could be potential combination. We gotta come up with something unique to Dartmouth because every you know smart people in the world are trying to come up with new idea and then we haven't been able to find any. But if there are anything unique to Dartmouth, it would be something. Um, EPN gamma knife, this is the um, our case series at previous institution, but patient as long as patient performance status is good, even patient has more than you know. Oh, 10 or 20 metastasis, we could salvage with multiple stereotactic radiosurgery with immune checkpoint inhibitor. So our experience is like three years survival with multiple brain meds patient are like 40%. So it's as good as patient who didn't present with brain metastasis. And this is reported in other centers such as Yale or uh, Johns Hopkins too. So this is real. Clearly, radiation does enhance uh, immune system. This is a case report we wrote. Um, patient, I, we had a patient with metastatic melanoma with chronic hepatitis C, and we treated with apilimumab. After four doses, his viral load became almost undetectable, and he's disease-free almost um, five years now, and then his hepatitis C is still under control. So these immune response could be nonspecific. So what to do with patient with autoimmune disease? We don't know yet, although we know it could be given safely, but I have seen patient flare of rheumatoid arthritis or others, so we need to be cautious. These are correlation I had when I was in MUSC. I do quickly. So we did flow um, patient blood samples before and after treatment, and we have seen changing CD8 cell phenotype with treatment. Interesting thing is we have seen increasing OX, um, OX40L ligand in these before and after immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment, and clearly it did increase IL-17 and then uh, TNF-alpha production, and also interferon-alpha production. So these are, this is single case, but definitely I want to collaborate with you guys to repl replicate these to find more mechanism of these immune checkpoint inhibitor. This is interesting. It could be just surrogate marker, but the GLUT1 increase before they start to respond. So this is a case who had a stable disease with epilimumab, but progressed. And then after pembrolizumab, 
had a dramatic response, and she's disease-free now. So these are collaboration with Dr. Paulosin at MUSC. Um, I mean, these I really rely on them for these analysis, and it's lots of communication, including I try to attend lab meeting as much as possible to learn something. So again, we need to come up with something unique to Dartmouth. So these are cases who responded within a week. So some people respond, median response time to response is a couple months, but some patients respond within a week. I have seen these cases. We don't know why. Now she's fine. This is a patient who is on chronic dialysis with diffused lymph node. So these antibodies can use for patient on dialysis. Patient is shown great response. He's here today. He's continuing to get pembrolizumab. So this is another patient we saw today. This is an updated scan result from this morning. <laughs> so ocular melanoma, they tend not to respond to immune checkpoint inhibitor. And then they don't have BRAF mutation. Their GNAC and GNA11 is most common mutation. 80% of them have this mutation. So he progressed on um, nivolumab only. And the gray line is LDH. They increase. So we, unfortunately, he progressed with nivolumab. So we started uh, EP-nivol combination with approval of FDA in the end of November. And then, unfortunately, his disease progressed until he received cycle number four on the end of January. And then he started to show dramatic response. Although two weeks after last dose of, um, two, I mean, two weeks after first dose of maintenance nivolumab, his LDH became like almost 2,000. So he had autoimmune hepatitis, although this was managed with steroid. So this is today's scan. So he did show significant improvement. He's symptom-free. So clinical trials does matter. It's really important. So this is the trial we have now, ep with GMCSF. Idea is giving GMCSF might decrease side effect and increase response. The difference comes the dosage, EP3 versus EP1. Idea is it may decrease side effect. Pembrolizumab with IDO inhibitor. This is for Ashburn trial, but the Pembro versus interferon. Um, this is for lung. The last one is for lung cancer, but PDL1 antibody versus, I mean, plus anti CTLA4 antibody. This is Charleston in February. <laughs> and this is <laughs> Hanover in December. Uh, this is a book um, written by a neurosurgeon in Stanford who recently passed away, March of last year. This is really um, um, moving, touching article. So this is a, um, actually blackboard in our infusion center. Thank you very much. And the activity code is RCYS. Questions, anyone? Yeah. Please say, when you, um, when you do have a patient with large disease and you 
elect to go with the BRAF inhibitor, then how do you decide when to bring in immunotherapy or whether to bring in immunotherapy? So we don't have answer yet. We have, I have done reduce the tumor burden as much as possible using it in a couple months and switching to immune check inhibitor with good success. Also, although response rate is again like a 20 to 30 percent, so some of them requiring to restart BRAC inhibitor. But I have done. Take it off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Take the inhibitor off. Mm -hmm. okay. So I'm not supposed to talk outside of FDA approval. <laughs> I have done combination with anti-PD-1 with dabrafenib, which can be potentially given safely based on phase one data. Any other questions before we... Yeah. Yes, yes, sure. So with um, use of systemic steroids, do you ever lose the response? From, That's, um, uh, we don't have actual data, but anecdotally we were told giving steroid will not negate anti-tumor effect. Yeah. So once they respond to treatment, even after steroid administration, that can be sustainable. Uh, which we have seen that gentleman with um, ocular melanoma. So you last slides. Excellent. And I'm sure any of you have any ideas of, of, uh, of ways to look into how, how it's working or who to identify for which kinds of therapies Kate is anxious to set up by patients now that he's here and uh, on the ground working hard. Thank you. Thank you.